meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elim Church building at La Banks St. Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. I just want to take a few moments, I think, just to say thank you to all of you. Um, I know I've said this before, but thank you for your prayers and your support and encouragement to me um, as I've been taking on this new role. Today is officially um, the start <laughs> of it. Um, but I just want to say a really big, big thank you because you've been, you've been a great support. And I know um, you're going to need to be patient with me at times um, as I'm sussing things out and finding my feet but um, I do just want to say yeah a big big thank you and um, it feels very weird some of you have been asking me how does it feel to be taking on this new uh, this new job and this new chapter and yeah it's quite surreal it's quite different I think the biggest thing for me is, is the weird thing is not not preparing for school and not not uh, not doing all the things that I would be doing in the holidays ready for next week for all my students but it feels a little bit like because I have my some of my ex-students here today so that's lovely <laughs> um, that you've joined so that's great um, but yeah so I think that's that's a, a big strange thing but I just want to say that Obviously, there's um, lots planned ahead and, and lots, gonna, lots of exciting things to come. And at the end of this month, on the 29th, on Saturday the 29th, um, will kind of be my official induction service. I don't know really what that means, but I think I have to say a few things and, and make a few promises. And, and, uh, and we've got Simon Foster coming over, who's our regional leader, so he's going to be leading that. And we've also got Paul Hudson, who is also one of the regional leaders. Um, he's stepped uh, into a different role. He used to be the missions director. He's now one of the regional leaders. And Paul Hudson, um, I worked with in the UK, so um, he was my boss there. So he's been like a mentor to me, so he's going to come and share as well. And so I'd really, really love it if we could all be together on that, on that evening on the Saturday um, and just to celebrate. It's only going to be a short service and then in our usual style, tea and cake and stuff afterwards. So that was, that's good. Um, and then Paul will be sharing with us on the Sunday after that. But the week following, we will have uh, an AGM. So that's going to be happening on the Wednesday evening, the first Wednesday in October. So we as a leadership just want to sort of say everything that, that there is to say and, and for you to have questions, if you've got questions, to ask questions and just be open and, and, and just say what's been going on and where we're going and how we're going forward, um, which will tie in nicely with the Sunday after, which is going to be Vision Sunday. And again, as a leadership, we just want to share our heart and our thoughts as we go into this, this new season and this, this next chapter. So uh, I'm really excited. It's an exciting time and, and it's really good. I'm really glad to be back this morning with you. Okay, if you have your Bibles, then, um, if you could turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to just take a little look at a passage in Acts from verse 42 to verse 47. Okay, so we're just going to be having a little look at that passage this morning. In normal technical style, I've had a, a bit of a PowerPoint debacle, so it's not up there on the screen, I'm afraid. So if you can lean over, look at someone else's Bible, then um, please do that, okay? But I'll read it to you. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just picture the scene here, isn't it? Let's just look at what's been going on before this passage. It's been the day of Pentecost. And the people have gathered together and the Holy Spirit has come and people have been baptised with the Holy Spirit and they've been speaking in other tongues. And people are looking on at the cloud and going, what's going on? Are these people drunk? It's so early in the morning. What's happening? And uh, so Peter gets up and says his sermon and says, no, that's not what's happening and explains what's happening and explains to the people that actually this is just the fulfilment of the prophecy um, of Joel. And um, so he goes on to talk about that. And on that day alone, 3,000 souls were saved. And then we have this little passage here in verse 42 to 47. And we have a picture of what happens afterwards. And the fellowship of believers have come together and they begin to organise themselves. They begin to try and work out how to live the Christian life. And they are trying to do community. And so we have a little bit of an insight into what the early church kind of looked like at this, at this point. Now I want to, um, just play a little game with you for a moment, okay? And I want you to try and guess the connection. Now I would have put pictures up. Oh, hello. That looks, looks great. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. Just when I thought I was going to have to explain it. Um, do we have the next slide? Oh, brilliant, wonderful stuff. If not, don't worry, I will explain. No? Okay. Right, well, I'll I'll tell you them as they're coming up, okay? So, one of the pictures is, oh, good, excellent. There's a couple, this has been going around on Facebook. Have any of you seen this couple on on the tandem? This married couple, they've been married for years. And one's 86, one's 91, and they've spent their life riding around the country on a tandem. Okay? Um, so there's this couple here. Okay? Um, Graham and Betty. Now, next one. Okay, the albatross. Okay. Just going to leave that out there, the albatross. Next picture. Olivia Newton-John. Yeah? Okay. This character, she was Sandy in the movie Grease. Okay? If you've watched the movie Grease, you'll know that this was Sandy. And then the last one. Okay, some of you might know this song. Okay, the Hughes Corporation Rock the Boat. Now you're going to get that stuck in your head. I've had that song in my head all week. Rock the Boat. Okay, turn to the person next to you. Can you guess the connection between these four things? Off you go. Have a go. Is there any connection that you can find? It's not an odd one out. It's just the connection. So what is the connection? Yeah. I said you'd be singing it. That's it. Any ideas what the connection might be? Sorry? Faithful. Yeah, okay. Excellent. All right. So, well, the example, um, the connection related to faithfulness or togetherness, somebody said, I think, or something like that. Yeah. So the connection is about devotion, about love and devotion. You've got Graham and Betty who are completely and utterly devoted together as a married couple. He said that he would ride a 48-mile round trip 
to go and see her when they were dating. Isn't that lovely? That I am a sucker for a good romance and a good romantic story. So I was nearly in tears reading that. Um, then the albatross. The albatross is an interesting bird because it mates for life. And many animals don't do that. But the albatross, when they find their partner, they stay together. How sweet. And even when one of them goes off and is away for months, they come back and they're still together. So the albatross mates for life. Then you've got Greece and you've got Sandy. And, um, of course, she was hopelessly devoted to Danny. Um, that, is, <laughs> that is a picture of her singing the song, Hopelessly Devoted to You. Um, and then they end up together. And then the last one is the song Rock the Boat. And um, they were begging for their other half not to rock the boat, um, not to rock the love, the ship that was sailing with a cargo full of love and devotion. I feel like I might want to break out into song. I won't. Okay. (laughs) You'd like that though, wouldn't you? (laughs) So devotion, okay. Around the world today, we see loads of expressions of love and devotion, and we can see it in all different areas. And I'm sure, um, you know, we can see it here as well today, just amongst us. And this picture in the Bible is a picture of a group of people who were devoted. It was a group of followers that says they devoted themselves to these four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. They were devoted. And if you read it in the Amplified Bible, it says continually and faithfully they devoted themselves. Continually and faithfully they devoted themselves. If you look up the word devotion, just in the dictionary, it talks about love, it talks about loyalty, and it talks about enthusiasm. I like that. Devotion is that enthusiasm, love for someone or for something when you show that. I want you to think for a moment. Okay, have another little think. What is it in your life that you are continually and faithfully devoted to? Okay, what is it that you are continually and faithfully devoted to? It could be anything. It could be partner, spouse, friend. Uh, it could be a sibling. It could be your dog. Um, whatever it is. What is it you're faithfully and continually devoted to? And what does that devotion look like? How does it look when you think about that person or that thing that you are completely devoted to? When I think about in my life, what are the the things that I'm most devoted to? I suppose it would probably have to be my friends and family, aside from God and church and things, but probably my friends and family. And I think, what does that look like? Well, it means that I love them. Yeah, it does mean that. And it does mean that I'm loyal to them. And it means that I have an enthusiasm. My friends don't want to meet me if I'm like, oh, I don't want to meet you. Like, it's, it's, you're excited to see them and you spend time with them and um, you phone them up and, and you care about them. And I think that's what devotion looks like. And, you know, in that couple, when I was reading the couple's story on Tandem, they were saying about, you know, their marriage and, and they said how they enjoyed being together. There was an enjoyment there um, of being completely devoted. When I think about that and all the things that I'm devoted to in my life, I wonder sometimes, does my devotion to those things, is that reflected in the same way as my devotion to God and my devotion to the things of Christ and the things of the church? Do I live continually, faithfully devoted to what the early church were devoted to? Because the early church modelled this great life. They had this enthusiasm for, for the, the things of, of the faith. 
Now, I don't want us to take this passage out of context and say we should be like the early church. We should model church on that particular thing. Um, because it was a completely different time. It was a completely different culture. It was a completely different set of circumstances. And I don't think we can just look at that and say, well, that's exactly how we should be today. Um, but I do think we can learn something from that passage. I do think we can learn something from the early church and we can be inspired by their faithfulness, by their devotion to the things of God. You know, those who were becoming Christians at this time, those who were becoming followers, they were doing something really quite extraordinary, something quite um, risky because they were making an absolutely radical departure from the Judaism that they'd been accustomed to, the things that they had known about. And they were changing. They were being baptised in the name of Jesus. Just seven weeks ago, before this time, Jesus was being put to death and was crucified and then was raised to life. And it was the religious leaders who had crucified Jesus. And they were now being baptised in the name of Jesus. It was completely radical for them, completely radical life change. And from this, the early church was born. And, they, and the new believers, they knew, they recognised they had to be devoted to these things. They had to be devoted um, to the, the teachings, to prayer and to all these different things. And it wasn't just a, well, I'll just dip into it now and again when I feel like it. It wasn't just, oh, when, when the mood takes, I'll do that. No, it was, it was living constantly, constantly devoted to the things of Christ. And I think that's a great lesson for us today. Because sometimes if you're anything like me, life can get a little bit sacred-secular divide. Life can get a little bit, this is church and Christianity and and sacredness, and this is secular and work and things over here. And without even realising it, there can be a little bit of a split. And actually Christianity becomes something that just fits into the other things that we do. But the early church shows us this example where they were Christians, and everything else fitted into that. Their life was consumed by God, by Jesus. And I think to myself, what's it going to take for me to be like that, to live in that continual, faithful, devotedness to the things of God? What would it look like if the church worldwide, in our nation, became like this, so devoted to the things of Jesus? Or... Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at this passage and look at these four different things. And today I want us to start by looking at the apostles' teachings, but we'll look at the others later on. What were the apostles' teachings? Well, it was about Jesus. They were learning this idea about who Jesus was and that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus was crucified and he was who he says he was and he was raised to life and they were learning all of that. Um, learning the Great Commission of Matthew 28, which says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. It was all those things, but it was more than that because it was all of what Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, so it was everything. And so they were clinging on to the apostles' teachings. And that really hasn't changed for us today, isn't it? You know, we have the scriptures before us, and we're asked and told to be devoted to the scripture to be continually and faithfully devoted to it. I wonder how um, we are fulfilling the requirement of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, 
a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Are we rightly handling the word of truth in our daily lives? In Acts 17, it talks about these people, the Bereans, and it says that they received the word. Paul and Silas came to that place, and it says they received the word with all eagerness. They received it with all eagerness, and they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Examining them to see if what was being taught was correct and what was right. And they received it with great eagerness. And why is it so important for us to, to be the same as the early church? Why is it important for us to devote ourselves to the scriptures and have the right handling of the word? Well, I, I think it's quite simple, isn't it? Because, well, we need the instruction. We need guidance. We need truth. We need to stand on the truth of who God is. And it says in the passage in Acts that as they were doing this, as they devoted themselves, what happened? They saw signs and wonders. They had favour with people and they saw salvation. So amazing things were happening as they devoted themselves to all these different things. The Apostles' teachings was listed first. You might think, why was it listed first out of the four things? Well, I think it was because the Jews were really devout and they um, would have really wanted to get the doctrine right. The doctrine was the priority for them. And they'd been misled by the Pharisees and the scribes and by the religious leaders because they'd been taken under the wrong religious system and Jesus came with this new system. And so for them it was really important that they understood the apostles' teachings. The word was really important that they got it and they knew it and they lived by it. So why is it important for us to continually be devoted? Well, first of all, I think we can be led astray. Well, I can be led astray. I can be led astray by all things. I can be led astray on a daily basis, but actually hourly basis sometimes. Okay, Led astray in my thinking, sometimes led astray in in what I do, in my actions, in my speech. Um, I can be all over the place sometimes, taken away from what I know about God. My thinking can go off all over the place and I forget the promises that are in the Bible and the truth that is in here. And I can, my mind can be filled with all sorts of things. And I have to go back to the word and say, no, it's like this. People can lead us astray, can't they? In a good way, in a bad way, people can lead us astray. Other doctrines, other things people say can lead us astray. We hear it, we see it, where people come out with things and, and they take us down the wrong route. Our doubts can lead us astray. Our desires, good or bad desires. We can be so consumed sometimes with something that we want or we feel we need. It can, like just overtake us and take us away from the truth of scripture. Fear. Tim was talking about fear last week. That can lead us astray. It can take us down the wrong route. And suddenly we're not trusting in God anymore. Our circumstance can lead us away. Because sometimes circumstances are just really difficult and really tricky. And we can find ourselves in in a place we didn't expect to be in. I wonder, you know, is there stuff in our life that is leading us astray? Taking us away from the truth of God, taking us away from what we know is the, is the sure foundation, is the promises of God. It could be our thinking. Our thinking could be completely overwhelmed. We could be consumed by something at the moment. And we need to come back to the scripture, come back to the truth. It could be that the promises of God in your life, it feels like they're really distant and they're not close anymore. 
But we need to get ourselves back to the scripture. Because I know that when I start to feel guilty and I start to feel condemned, I need to get back into Romans 8. I need to know that I'm free and there is no condemnation in Christ. When I'm tempted by stuff, I need to be in 1 Corinthians. Because I need to know that, you know, God will be with me in that temptation and that he will, he will be able to rescue me from that. And he'll provide a way out for me. When I'm fearful, I need to know that Isaiah tells me not to be afraid. And the Psalms tell me that I can trust in God. And Philippians tells me that don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray to God. When I'm in doubt, I need to look at James and pray for wisdom. When I'm overwhelmed with tiredness, which some of us are sometimes, and we're weary, we need Matthew to say, you know, God invites all of us to come to him who are weary and need rest. When I'm in the valley, I need Psalm 23. I I need comfort. I need to know that God is with me and walks with me and his rod and his staff protect me. And you see, the problem is, is if we're not in the scripture and we don't remind ourselves of those things, I can be led astray by all sorts of things, all sorts of thinkings, all sorts of desires, just stuff coming my way. And I need to get back to those truths in the Bible, to know it, to live it, to breathe it. The early church were devoting themselves to the teachings because they really wanted to live a life of devotion. They really wanted to get it right, to remain faithful to the scriptures, to keep focused and grounded. Why is it important to devote ourselves to scriptures? Well, we can be led astray, but also I think there's sometimes the danger that we can become dependent on experience only rather than the word. You know, having an experience of God, encountering God is so, so important, isn't it? Actually, I would say it's probably vital for a relationship with Christ to have a real personal encounter. And the revivalists of of the past, the Edwards, the Shinnies, they talked about and showed us this, this great experience of God. And that's brilliant, but we can't just find God in the experience. We can't just feel our way to God. You know, some people are very um, experiential, aren't they? They're very much about experience. Some people experience God when making cups of tea. And I wish I was more wired up that way, that, you know, people experiencing God all over the place. And it's great. Some of us aren't wired up so much like that. We're wired up differently. But I think it has to be more than that. Because the problem is, is that experiences aren't always there all the time. And the early church had this great, powerful, amazing experience of Pentecost. I mean, it must have been awesome to be baptised with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues in that way. They had that great experience, but it wasn't enough, was it? It wasn't, they weren't just living on that one experience. No, they, they had to continually devote themselves to the word. They had to continually live and breathe it. We can't always 100% rely on our feelings and our experiences. Sometimes mine can go all a bit off, off wonky. But we have to come to the certainty of the word. And sometimes Christians can live from one experience to the next. And actually, I don't think that's sustainable. It's not always healthy just to live on the encounter of God. We need more than that. I think our whole lives have to have a devotion to the scriptures and to the word. And that's why it's so important that we come together every Sunday and we hear the word and we have it embedded in our lives again to take us out into the week to give us something to go on again. A life devoted to Christ in Galatians 2 says this, I've been crucified with Christ and it is 
I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think a life like that where we actually are crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us, has to come from more than perhaps just feeling. Because what happens when the feelings die? What happens when we're not dancing on the mountaintops? Because that's a great experience when we're really powerfully encountering God. That's great, but it doesn't always happen. It's not always happening. And what happens when we're in that season and we can't feel anymore? We need a foundation, don't we? John 1, 18 says, No one's ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Meaning, the only God, Jesus, who's at the Father's side, he's the one that's made God known. Jesus has made God known to us. We can never fully experience and encounter God. We have to look at Jesus fully to see the explanation, to see the example of who God is. And that's why the early Christians were like, we, we need to know the apostles' teachings. We really need to know this. We really need to know this Jesus and, and what he taught because we want to see God. We want to see God for who he is. And so we need to get familiar with it. I wonder what we're relying on to keep us going in the Christian life. Are we relying on just an experience, an encounter on a Sunday? Are we just going from Sunday to Sunday to experience the catch a glimpse of God? I think we need more than that. I can't even trust my own feelings at times. And I think the foundation of the truth comes by reading the word, by knowing the word, by living it, by breathing it, by being devoted to it and making it our everything. The early church knew this. And I think that we can be inspired by that to continually be discovering Jesus so that he blows our minds. Sometimes I open the Bible at home and I think to myself, I just wish there was someone there I could share that little nugget with because it just blows my mind about how great Jesus is and how, about how amazing he is. And I just read something. I, kind of read, I could have read it like a thousand times, but I read it again and it just comes alive again to me. And I need that because I'm a bit hopeless in my Christian journey. And I need that continual feeding into my life of God's word. And I try my best to be devoted to it. Why should, we, uh, why should we be devoted to it? Because, well, I think this links in, but otherwise we can maybe fail to see God for who he really is if we're not reading the scripture, if we don't see it, we don't listen to it, we don't hear it. Sometimes we can create our own picture of what God is or what God should be and what he should be doing. Sometimes I have a strong opinion of what I think God should be doing and how God should be acting. And I think that God should be doing this and that and, and he's not. And I'm like, Why? And um, I've got a picture of what I think God should look like. Does anyone else do that sometimes? I think I need to go back to the Bible. Because the Bible paints a much better picture of God than I could conjure up. I don't, I'm not uh, right. God is right. His ways are higher than my ways. And the apostles' teachings were centred on Christ. And the early church knew that. And they wanted to get to know who this God was. So they wanted to see who Jesus was. I don't know if any of you used to watch the TV show Blind Date. Does anybody like Blind Date? Yeah? No? <laughs> did they? No, didn't like it. I love Blind Date. Um, it, was a bit of a, it was a bit trash TV, but I did used to love it. Um, I don't think Saturday nights have been the same since 
um, blind date came off the air, to be honest. And I'm not saying something because I'm a Strictly fan and I love Strictly. Um, but I used to love blind date. And, and, uh, you know, you used to have a contestant, didn't you? And the screen and they'd ask some questions and then the others on the other side had to answer the questions and then they would make their pick and they would choose who they wanted to go on the holiday with. And then the person would come through the screen and they wished they'd chosen the other one. And it was always like that, wasn't it? And then they went on their date and it never really used to go that well. I don't think, you know, more often than not, the person they thought they were going to go on holiday with wasn't really the person. And then you can't really gain too much from three questions. But they had a picture, didn't they, of who was going to come through the screen, not through, round the screen. Um, and more often than not, it wasn't really the right picture. I don't know if any of you have been on a blind date before. You might not want to disclose that. Whatever. I the thought of being going on a blind date, oh, no thanks, that would scare me. But I have been on dates before where, you know, I thought I knew this person who I might be going out on a date with, and I had a picture, well, I had an idea of who this person was, um, and um, they seemed really great. And then I've been out on a few dates with them, and actually they haven't really been my type of person. And it's sort of, you know, a bit awkward, but... That happens. And then there's been other people where I've thought to myself, oh, no, I, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll, they, they're not really my type. And then you do go out with them and you spend a bit of time. And you go, well, actually, yeah, they're, they're, they're really nice. And then they don't want to be with you. And you're like, oh, great, thanks. That's awkward. Um, but that's, you know, I'm not going to go any further into my love life because it's only day one. And you think you need to get to know me a bit more <laughs> before I start telling you my dating history. Um, anyway, that's an aside. But sometimes... The point of that was, sometimes we paint a picture, don't we, of who we think this person's going to be, and actually they're not. Or sometimes it can be a pleasant surprise, or sometimes it can not be. And sometimes I think that's the same with God, because we can have a picture of who we think God is, and actually maybe that's not who God is at all. Um, and maybe we have the wrong idea, and we don't really fully know who this God is. You know, sometimes I speak to people, and I'm constantly amazed at how many people feel that God is angry towards them, how many people feel that God is disappointed with them, and how, you know, they feel quite, they've got quite a negative view about God, when actually the Bible is full of God who loves you and cares for you and forgives you and wants the best for you and, and is proud of you and, and you're the apple of his eye, and, and yet they're walking around with a picture of God that, that isn't accurate, it's not biblical. And that's going to happen for all sorts of reasons through different things that have happened in our lives and we get a misconception of who God is. Sometimes we see God as the one who will sort out our problems and our needs and meet our, meet our requirements or he's the one in charge, he's the one in control, he's the one that's got it all sorted for us. And sometimes we go around with that picture and actually God's sovereignty it shouldn't be seen in some sort of random way that God can do absolutely anything in the sense of the illogical, like make square circles or circle squares or whatever. But um, actually, the theologian uh, Belish says this, that the Bible teaches that God's power is manifested not in arbitrary, not in random decrees, but in sacrificial other-serving love, namely Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, sometimes we can think the power of God is manifest in this amazing inspiring way that he's out there in charge in control of everything and can do everything and will sort out all our problems and our needs when actually if we look at the bible when we look at jesus what we see the power of god is in the sacrifice the 
power of God is in the servant heart. The power of God is in the love for others and the laying down of one's life. I'm not saying the power of God isn't seen in other things. But if we only have one picture of the power of God, when we're going through things, we can get disheartened because we're like, well, God, why aren't you doing this for me? Why aren't you solving this in my life? Why aren't you moving in and and doing whatever? Because you can, but you're not. How often do we get despondent when our sickness isn't healed or disheartened when the miracle doesn't arrive because we're looking for the power of God in that way and the power of God does manifest itself in that way and that is right and that is good and I want that more than anything to see signs and wonders and to see miracles but God's power can be seen in other places too and I think we need to be drawn back to the word to be able to see that because maybe the scriptures will remind us that the power of God is seen in sacrifice the greatest uh, power of God is seen in, in Jesus on the cross, in the sacrifice, in the suffering, in the self-giving. And maybe we don't always see that when we look at the person who struggles through, the person who doesn't give up, the person that will surrender, the person that walks through the valley but holds on to their faith. I look at those people and I think the power of God is manifested in its most spectacular way. And maybe I can encourage you today, because I think there's some of us here today who, we're going through stuff. We are sick and we're not healed. Or we are going through the valley and it's difficult. Or we have certain heartaches. Or we're waiting for certain prayers to be answered and we don't see them answered. And actually, you know what? The power of God is manifested in you, who keeps going, who doesn't give up, who holds on, who stays steadfast to God. You sat next to somebody today who might be going through some stuff, but the power of God is manifested in their life because where is God? God is in the suffering. And God is in the sacrifice. And God is in the surrender. And God is in the the giving and the service of others. And so we need to see that view of God as well as the God who answers prayer and does the miracles. We need to see the God whose power is manifested in our difficulties and our suffering and our sacrifice as well. And that is powerful. I get inspired by when I speak to some of you and speak to other people on the way that you don't give up, you keep going. Even when things are thrown your way, you're still there, you're still holding on fast. And I see the power of God there manifesting itself. I think we need to devote ourselves to to the scriptures because we need to see God for who he really is and not just have a little picture in just, but we need to see full picture and be excited by that. I'm going to finish with this last one. I think we need to be continually devoted like the early church because otherwise sometimes we can be in danger of just dipping into the Bible. It can be a little bit like using it like a self-help book. You know, culture today seems to continually champion the idea that we are independent beings, aren't we? That we can help ourselves, that we can do what's needed, that we can pursue our own happiness and success and be all this great stuff that we possess some sort of inalienable rights, some absolute rights. The US founded itself on this idea, the absolute rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But the problem with that is that sometimes that can be a very inward sense of reflection, thinking about ourselves, our own happiness, our own success, the demand that we have our own inalienable absolute rights that must be fulfilled. There was a famous philosopher, Jeremy Bentham, in the 18th century, yeah, that said that 
inalienable rights were nonsense. Actually, he went further and said nonsense on stilts. I love that expression. It, was non- it wasn't just nonsense, it was nonsense on stilts to have these inalienable rights. And that was a philosopher who wasn't religious. That was a philosopher who said these inalienable rights, that's ridiculous. But sometimes that creeps into the church, doesn't it? That idea that we have kind of particular rights, it can consume us, that thinking. It filters into the church so that actually sermons are all about our own spiritual fulfillment. And that's not a bad thing, of course, we need that, but not in isolation. Sometimes sermons can even be about material fulfillment for us. You know, you can switch on the TV and you hear lots of people talking about how we should be materially fulfilled. Worship songs can be more about us and our emotions rather than our expression of love to God. And sometimes there's a danger about it being too, too inward, too about us. And there's a danger that we can see God in just how he can help us through rather than what we can do for God and how we can live for him. Rather than just sort of thinking, well, God will be my comfort when I need or my, my strength when I'm weak. Now, we need all that and I preach all that, so I'm all for that. That's really good and we need that. But it's more than that, isn't it? We're not just on this Christian journey for some self-help. It's like... Um, you ever go to those Chinese buffets? Yeah, when you can, oh, you can eat Chinese buffet. Anyone love one of those? Yeah, no, you're not. I don't think you're Chinese buffet lovers, are you? Um, I, I had a Chinese down the road in the UK, and it was an all-you-can-eat buffet, you know, and it would like be like, oh, a massive spread of Chinese food, and you just loved it. I think you paid like a fiver, and then you managed to pile up your plate. But you know, you always chose the, the good stuff, the duck spring rolls, and you know, the sweet and sour chicken, and not the veggie stir fry, which is over there. Although you might like veggie stir fry, I don't know. But you could just pick, pick and choose what you wanted, couldn't you? I love that. And I love having a Chinese, and you can just do that. And sometimes the thing is, you can be a little bit like that with the Christian faith. And I find myself, well, I'll have a little bit of this. I'll have a little bit of that. Well, I won't have that, thanks. I'll have a little bit of this, but not that. And actually, really, it just can't be like that. It's not just God's here for me to help my needs and to help me and get through life. But it's more than that. It's all consuming. It's about being continually and faithfully devoted. There's an article I read in Christianity Today. It said, rather than understanding God in terms of human life, human life should be defined by the power of God in Jesus Christ. Christian faith acknowledges a God who discloses to us our true weakness, our sin, and then sovereignly acts in Christ, to reconcile us to God. The Christian faith shows us our sin and our weakness and then shows us reconciliation back to God in Christ. And it went on to say, as a community of this God, which is us, the church is not a community of self-help instruction, but a place of missionary self-giving. Mark 8 says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It's quite a powerful verse. A community of missionary self-giving. Sometimes my Christian life is a little bit me-centred and not enough outward-looking. But the Bible reminds us that it is about self-giving, isn't it? Continual devotion to Scripture will keep us mindful. The followers of Jesus on that day, the early church, they knew that. And they knew what it was to take up their cross. 
knew what it was to risk it all and follow Christ. Staying devoted keeps us missionary-minded rather than inward-looking. I wonder where we are today with that thought. Are the scriptures a constant source to us? Is it constantly? Are we just choosing what we want? Or are we looking at everything and being consumed by it? I'm going to invite the worship group to come back. I'm going to sing a final song. As we sing this final song, I'm going to take up the offering as well and and do that at at that point. But I want us to think about about this picture of the early church and what they were. And like I said, I don't think it's something that we have to model ourselves on, but I think it's something that we can be inspired by. Inspired by their laying down of their lives, the risk they took, their continual and faithful devotion to these different things. And we've looked particularly at the apostles' teachings today. But I think again for us on our Christian journey, that there needs to be a continual faithful devotion to the word and to know it and to live it and to breathe it because we can be led astray at times and I know that in my journey in my life that things can cloud my thinking and I can get quite down at times if I let my thoughts run away with me and I don't bring myself back in line with the scripture and the promises of God and you might be the same or you could be consumed by particular things that you're waiting for or hoping for or praying for And we need to be brought back to the scripture because we can be led astray. Sometimes we can become dependent on our encounter with God only when we need the word. Because actually, experiences come and experiences go and feelings come and feelings go. And sometimes we can be walking through a time when we don't feel it. Sometimes we're even in church and we just don't feel God. We can't feel God's presence. And we need something. We need to know the foundation of the word. That when we're walking through those times, it's okay. It's not that God's left us. God's still with us. It's just we might not be able to feel God right now. But we do have the truth of the word and we can rely on that. Sometimes we can fail to see God for who he really is. And I think it's really important that we know who God is. Because otherwise that can make us stumble in our Christian faith. Because we could be, we could be in a situation where we think, well, what's wrong with me? Haven't I got enough faith for this to be answered? Haven't I got enough faith for this in my life? And it's not that but we may be missing a different picture of who God is and what God's teaching us and saying to us through something. And it helps us. So as we close and as we sing this final song, perhaps in our hearts we can just devote ourselves again to the scriptures and just come again and say, God, you know, yeah, help me to see the truth of your word, to stand on the promises of God. Even when we're in the storms of life, even when we're going through the valleys, even when we're being shaken, even when we're going through difficulty, we're standing on the promises of God because it's so important. So we're going to devote our life to that. I'm not going to let those things, I'm not going to let the enemy come in and attack me in that way because I'm standing on the promises of God. What would happen if the church and our nation really knew what it was to become continually, faithfully devoted to scriptures? Listening to this, we download from Lancelot Church. For more downloads and information, all the time we catch us, please visit our website, Lancelot